Hi, everyone. This is Designing Futures with me, Angela Yang. If you are a subscriber and an avid listener, welcome back. And if you're new to the podcast, welcome. You know, as some of you may know, this podcast is brought to you by Thrive by Design and Yay Ideology. Thrive by Design is a masterclass program developed to empower design professionals and creative leaders like you. Our lessons and sessions help you unearth your highest potential, making an exponential impact, mastering and landing opportunities, and thus thriving in your career, earning what you deserve. Yay Ideology is a talent strategies firm with a mission to help companies partner with the best design talent throughout corporate consulting and recruitment, both in talent retention and as through recruitment as well. So to learn more about Thrive by Design and Yay Ideology, you can head over to thrivebydesign.today and www.yayideology.com. So today we have two guests, Walter Herbst and his son, Scott Herbst. Um, and for those of you who know the design industry, you have, if you recall the name, uh, Herbst Lazar Bell, Walter was one of the founders of Herbst Lazar Bell, his namesake, right? And um, one of the most successful design consultancies in the industrial design industry for, for quite some time. And now he's leading uh, Herbst product with his son, Scott Herbst. And just a side note, you know, well, Walter Herbst now is the chief operating officer and Scott Herbst is the creative director of Herbst product. But, you know, it's really interesting because we're going to get to hear in this conversation, you know, a father-son team. You know, it's funny because I'm a parent myself and you always wonder, will my children, you know, you hear so many stories, will my children follow in my footsteps? And you certainly don't want to push it on them. It's just, it's funny how this story comes about, how they ended up working together and how Scott does end up in the design industry. Um, a little bit about their agency today, Herp's product is a design brand and strategy consultancy, consulting agency that began innovating in 1962. They collaborated with established and aspiring brands that share um, innovative spirits. Uh, her product introduces themselves as design thinkers and doers, united in their passion for defining, designing, and realizing innovation. So today we'll be able to listen to the story about those early days in industrial design coming forward to today. So without further ado, let's just jump into it because there's so many great nuggets here um, that I think you guys are gonna really enjoy listening to. Hi everyone, this is Angela Ye, and we're here again for another episode of Designing Futures. If you've been a subscriber and a listener, we appreciate you coming back again. And if you're new to this, I hope you enjoy what you're about to listen to. I love that I've been in this industry uh, recruiting and coaching in the world of design for so long. And there's so many amazing people that I get to meet in some of the best conversations I've been dying to share with the world for all of you to be inspired by. So I'm really excited that today I have with me Walter Herbst and his son, Scott Herbst, to talk about design generationally. This is just gonna be so amazing. I don't know, it's just gonna be like a three hour thing. Yeah. <laughs> so I can get in all the good stuff with you guys. Yeah. <laughs> First off, um, I know that we're 
showing this on YouTube. So for those of you who are watching this, you'll be able to see that this is my very first interview of someone interviewing on a boat, um, <laughs> right? Yeah, it seems um, it could be standard. It could be, a, this could be the new thing. Yeah. I love, it. I love it. And did you guys just say, you know, we were texting back and forth, you and us, me and Ellie, and you're like, oh, we're, we're uh, coming in from Florida to New York. I'm thinking you flew in. Right. You really boated up. Really fast. <laughs> in the Atlantic, most so of the time. How fast did it take to get from Florida to New York? I'm dying to know. Well, for, when I say really fast, I mean, people start thinking about little racing type boats that really go fast. Yeah. And and for cruising type boats, which is what I live on all winter, you don't go really, really fast. You go yeah. about 22 miles an hour. That's a big deal. That is Ooh. a big deal. By the way, I'm a, my husband and I are boat novices. We had a 19 foot, but with the little thing on the back end, we like to say it's 20, <laughs> but we just sold it because we didn't even know how to drive that thing. Uh, we're on a channel uh, in Long Beach, Long Island, and it's just docking that thing is a hassle. So how big is your boat and how long have you guys been boating? Good, well, good. it's been it's been a lifelong uh, journey for us. I was basically raised on the water, grew up on boats. This guy has been a boater forever. And so, uh, yeah, he he decided last year to take a break from sort of the grind, the design grind. And uh Walter will get into it was was yeah. with our studio for many, many years and then with Northwestern University with this amazing program he built, but he decided to um, devote more time to boating and as he mentioned, Florida is a great place to do that in the wintertime and that's been home for him since November. So uh, we're, we're on our way back up uh, north to get him back to the Midwest on the Great Lakes home for him is a 55 foot azimuth which is an Italian power boat it's big enough it's got a full galley it's big enough to live on full size refrigerator. Three staterooms, so yeah. everybody gets their own bed if there's three. Oh my goodness, that's pretty amazing. cool. It's really neat. You just sent me the picture. Oh my god, it's got its own like ski do in the back. This is. Oh, I got to show this to Vic. We're gonna geek out on your boat. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, I got boat envy for sure. Yeah. <laughs> well, so, if, you're gonna, if you're gonna live on a boat, it needs to be big enough to live on a boat. So yeah. Oh my God. We're for real. I'm thinking this is not like a dinghy. This is uh yeah. well, we were laughing this morning. I said to Scott, it's so it really is so so efficient because I was doing breakfast this morning. I probably never took more than one step between the refrigerator, the cooktop, and the, and the sink. I bet I never took more than one step. It's all right there. Oh it's my god, it's amazing. Yeah, it's but, but you guys, for anybody listening, one step is not just one. I mean, this thing is, you got to walk to get to all the different departments and yeah. divisions of the boat. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. And I love that I'm, I love that I'm doing my first uh, podcast interview with you guys. What was it that we came up with, Scott? Work from boat? Work from boat. WFB. Yeah. It's the new, it's the WFB. new. Uh, it's it's, it's like the new up level quality of life. You guys are owning that. Yep. I love yeah. it. And we were, we, we, we have a, uh, cellular and satellite connections. So uh, we, we run a router um, on the boat. So we were out in the Atlantic. So we left Florida on Tuesday, super early Tuesday morning, and we landed New York Harbor yesterday, which is Friday at about 10 a.m. So we stopped for fuel, South Carolina, uh, yeah. North Carolina, Atlantic City, Virginia, Chesapeake Bay, and then Atlantic City. 
just pulling in for fuel and a few hours sleep and then yeah. took off again yeah grab some sleep and then take off so it was like a, it was basically an endurance run up the uh, atlantic and um so we're really tired we're pretty tired right now <laughs> We've had, we've had about eight hours of sleep. I mean, you guys have to take turns kind of, you know, steering the boat, right? Yeah, so, yeah. you know, you can't put that thing on autopilot. No, because then you'll hit some great big thing in the ocean and that'll be the no, end there's of an it. Auto, there is an autopilot, though. I mean, we're... Um... But what, what you do is you're just always watching what's out there. So the radar is always on and you're always looking to see what blip is out there. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm like thinking, are you sure you can talk to me from your boat? <laughs> Yeah. Look at that sweet thing. Oh my God, that's amazing. Yeah. So we were, so we were working. So we've got, uh, we've got satellite and cell cellular most of the time, but satellite would kick in when we were, um, out of cellular range. And then, and so we were running communications the whole time. And, uh, I, you know, I'm still managing the studio, keeping everyone, um, you know, busy and coordinating, um, projects, design projects. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's quite efficient, actually, the, the WFB lifestyle, uh, you have just raised the level of uh, <laughs> quality of life. You know, I, I tell all employers now, right? Your biggest competition is quality of life. I mean, oh. majority of everyone, not just design, everyone in the world that so you know, seeing themselves as a professional worker, yeah. everybody's like, I want remote. And then most of the employers are still going, can you maybe ask them to come on site and reload the whole family and like. You can't compete with that. Work yeah. from both. Work from both. Yeah, it's true. That's a good sell, by the way, as an employer. You know, once in a while, you get to work from my boat. <laughs> yeah, and that's the Freedom Tower in the background there. I, I don't know if you can't really get the sense of scale, but um, there yeah. you go. Yeah, yeah, so that's pretty epic. Yeah. So that oh was New York Harbor yesterday. We had we had good visibility, which was good. We were worried there would be some fog, which there is today. It's totally so we're so we we spent the night on the Hudson about. 45 miles north of the city and it's totally fogged in right now we have zero visibility so so we're Loved glad out. we're we're glad we're here and tied up yeah we that's locked, a big we deal out. wow that's amazing okay amazing. and for okay and for well those, now you know next time we do a podcast interview you got to come to my my house um yeah, absolutely. i got a door I, I don't think my lips could hold that thing though <laughs> yeah, no, we're we're blown away with the um, with the waterfront in New York and New Jersey as well. The whole the whole sort of uh, eastern seaboard in that region is amazing. Just so much water and so much interesting boat traffic and shipping yeah. lanes and lots of cool stuff to to watch. So really yeah, and then yesterday, two days ago, I guess we were in Norfolk, and oh my lord! I mean, you have no idea. I mean, that's that's the one thing we took away from the trip is most everybody has no idea what this country's about. Unbelievable. I mean, there's there are not words to describe it. So much of the waterways, you never see a human. You don't see anything. There's nothing. We looked, we would look at each other numerous times and say, where are the, where are we? I mean, where the hell are we? You know, we're waiting for giraffes to come down to the river to start drinking. Wow. I mean, there's nothing there. And then you get to a place like Norfolk Hot. and huge ships, I mean, great big carriers and mm -hmm. stuff and then mm -hmm. uh when we brought it down we we entered the gulf in mobile and uh, it was the same thing i mean just crazy enormous you have that? no idea what's going on in this country I mean, really so you go along the river nothing's going on no humans huh. and, then all, and then all of a sudden in the, in freaking nowhere there's a guy in a bass boat fishing and you think where the hell did he come from? And where does he live? 
Right. Who's fishing for dinner? I mean, he's not, oh, let's go sport fishing. We'll talk about it at the bar tonight. No, 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 no. Uh-uh. So that's the brilliance and beauty of, of our blessing, if you will, in, in doing a trip, just understanding the country. Just remarkable. Just great. You know, I have met people who talked about boating. Was it boat around the United States or boat around? The Great uh, Loop. We're doing the Great, great Loop. loop. The yes. Great great loop. Loop. The that's, Great Loop. I met somebody. That's what we're You're, doing. We're you doing. are doing the Great Loop. What did I know about that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so we started uh, May uh, of 2021 mm-hmm. in northern Michigan. Got this guy, went all the way down the Mississippi and the Tennessee rivers, got this guy eventually across the Gulf into Florida where he lived for the winter. I, I obviously went back to work in the Bay Area. And then Walter uh, spent the winter in Florida. And then now we're finishing the return trip back up north. So we will have completed the Great Loop, which is about... Wow. I think it's all said and done. It's over four thousand five hundred miles. Yeah, I think it's actually five close to five five thousand miles, miles or miles so. Total, so. Oh, wow! Um, wow! Yeah, it's a pretty epic uh, circuit. So, so of course, when it started, the plan was brilliant, and then someone decided that the diesel fuel should go from two dollars yeah. a gallon to six dollars <laughs> yeah. a gallon, and then it wasn't yeah. so brilliant anymore. Yeah, yeah, oh it's my been, lord! It's oh my god, that's right. Yes. Yeah. Oh my god, the cost of that—that's a yeah. It's yeah. Six, six or seven dollars a gallon right now yeah but wow. uh, anyway but so for those for those that don't know walter and uh and his uh history so he's turning yeah, we're gonna get into that now walter's <laughs> turning 85 uh next week really no one lives that long yeah 85 yeah. years old his, his wow. 85th birthday is in uh about 10 days <laughs> you're you're you do not look 85 he's an animal <laughs> I, I'm I have no interest in keep looking. ladies off of them. <laughs> no. Yeah, exactly. I'm exhausted just trying to keep up with them. Literally, I'm like, I've slept like seven hours in the past five days. So, oh my god, <laughs> well, look at him! Look at him! He's excited. you do not look 85. You look, I don't know, five. <laughs> He's an animal. Amazing, and and you know what? I'm so excited because there's so much, so much history that I'm just. I mean, look, you, you've run one of the most successful consultancies in this you know in the design industry i mean this the tales you can tell please do dish (laughs) what and like when you started this you know when you started herpsalos yeah i mean you you ran one of the most successful design industrial design which expanded to so many categories right and and for how long how long did you guys is it still, it's still, it's, it, still? it exists in some minor uh, form eventually yeah. at some point I transferred the, uh, I transferred it to the employees under a yeah. stock option plan. And then I, be, I decided to go into academia for, a, for an interesting reason. And that was because we got, HLB got pretty big. And then uh, the reality was, well, these folks have to start running this place. And mm-hmm. what I was faced with I realized a lot of people were faced with, and that was the reality that, are you kidding? You're, you're a trained designer or a trained engineer or a trained whatever you're trained in. Yeah. And what the hell do you know about running anything? And, mm-hmm. I, and I say that with respect because you learn by doing. I happen to have gotten an MBA along the way as, as the place was growing, which was pretty important. Mm-hmm. But you mm-hmm. learn by doing. And then, and then I thought, well, boy, that could take forever. And it, and it does. So it does. I, uh, so I approached Northwestern University and I said, here's what's missing in the world. 
a master's degree in, in the management of product design and development. Nobody has it, no such thing. And I was totally blessed and they said, all right, go figure it out. I mean, do whatever yeah. you wanna do. So it became a mini MBA and a very, very advanced design development for adults. Uh, so it was a one day a week, alternating Friday, Saturday, part-time learning for those that were already in middle management. And so they came from all over the place. I mean, it was as broad and varied as folks doing anti-ballistic missile systems for Northrop to folks doing, I don't know, the next chewing gum, if you will, from Mars Wrigley. It was, was all the, over. There was the lead designer from McDonald's that was responsible for the Happy Meals. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, program. So there, yeah. it was a really um, diverse range of uh, skill sets and backgrounds. And wow. How many years? Missile systems to Happy Meals. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> so that was over 20 years. Right there. There's the book title right there. Yeah, so that was well over 20 years. But you, but you sort of asked, I don't know if you really asked, but uh, you sort of asked how did all this stuff, what was the range? And the yeah. range, looking back, is ridiculous. So, uh, so I'll just give you a, a probably one one sentence if I could pull it off. I don't know if you're old enough. That's that's. I'm sorry to say this to you. Do you do you remember anything like pocket fishermen? Do you remember any of that crap? Oh no, you're hesitant. No. I've been at the IDSA events for years. You you probably don't remember me because I was probably a peanut compared to you as you walked around the halls oh, yeah. and the conferences yeah. and all that. Yeah. But yeah. But that was where we started our lives. I mean, this was uh, the advent, if you will, of guaranteed sales on television. And we had this crazy client called Popeil Brothers. Mm -hmm. So we created all this crazy crap for him. And, and if you go through all of those years from doing nonsense to medical diagnostic to really complex work. Yeah. Wow. That's a story. I mean, that's just that's just an incredible journey and i'm just pleased and you know proud i was part of it and a little bit of background just just to put things in context so walter graduated from university of illinois industrial design program in the late 50s in his class so so this is the late 50s id is not yet a right a household um it's not even a term yeah but it's no. bar it's barely kind of emerging as yeah. a potential field right so yeah this is the late 50s so in his class at u of i was Caruso. Jerome Caruso, who's a very famous furniture designer and fine artist. There was uh, Bill, Stumpf. Bill Stumpf, who designed the Aeron chair. I mean, we had a class of, I think there's six of us. Yes, <laughs> of, of the six. So Caruso, yeah. Caruso Stumpf. Wait, was it, did you say the class was digital design or was it called industrial oh, product no, design? It, it was actually called industrial, industrial design. design. It was oh, okay. Tiniest department at the University of Illinois. In a really neat building, by the way, like a very mid-century modern academic building with yeah. like with like real authentic Eames furniture in the, you know, in the I mean, it was cool. So yeah. and then there was the the gentleman that went on to head design at Sears, and then the woman that went on to head oh, yeah. design at Corning. Owens Corning. So of the six people, like, and then Walter, who started HLB, right? So of those six graduates, every single person went on to become like an industry pioneer. And again, just, just to kind of put things in context with regard to the, to the scale of at that moment in time. So Herbst Lazar Bell, which was Walter and his two partners, Ralph Lazar and Randy Bell in Chicago, start this design firm in the late 50s, early 60s. And in the United States at that moment in time, there were probably four or five consultancies that could refer to themselves as industrial design firms, of which you might know these names, right? So Raymond Lowy, his studio was still around. Yes. 
Walter Dorman Teague. Uh, yeah, they're still around under Teague. Yeah, you know? still around in Seattle. And there were two other firms. Do you remember the names, Dan? Uh, yeah, but nobody else would. Yeah, in today's and world. they're not. And they're. Nope. I don't believe they're still around. But um, but that was just you know at that moment in time. And of course today there's hundreds of fantastic yeah. design firms all over the country. But um, and we were all like within walking distance of each other's offices. Right. Right. And so we started. So this. So we had this teeny tiny little firm. And, wow. and Chris, and there's Ralph Lazar and Walter Herbst and Randy Bell. And I think we had one other human in the office. We wanted us to sort of be in a reasonable address and we needed to be downtown and we really didn't have any money. But there was a funny, <laughs> there was a funny little building called the Lincoln Tower Building in Chicago. You might want to look it up. It's right off of Michigan Avenue and on Wacker Drive, which is on the river. Okay. And we didn't need a lot of space, but we wanted our own space. So they allowed us to rent the complete floor, wow. which, was in the, which was in the tower. So when you said, wow, the complete floor was probably, I don't know, 50 feet wide. I mean, it's in this tower of this building. So it's in the very tip top tower of the building. And wow. this was the, these were the days of uh, drafting tables. There's no computers. So the, which, and we didn't realize the problem. The problem was when it really got windy, all of our pencils would roll off the damn drafting tables. <laughs> <laughs> actually it would sway because we were all the way up in the tower oh my goodness oh my god what a crazy cool space so that was the start of the whole thing it was pretty nuts i've been in this industry like i'll stop at 20 years um i mean you've seen it so much longer and i remember just way when i was beginning it went to prep for my for the master's program and even just getting into the industry you it, when i came in you still meet people, majority people, where they didn't know what design was. Back then, you were like, you what were your conversations like? Where people were like, what? You design a cup or, you know, like, yeah. you draw a picture? That must have been really interesting to explain what design could do. Could do. And then and then the frustration was until, it, until we could prove ourselves, it was, here it is, it's all done. Can you just sort of painted and give it some styling or something it was i mean but that was the early growth there was no complete sensitive appreciation mm -hmm. for the depth that we ultimately all brought to it mm -hmm. so you had to fight your way you had to yeah. fight your way into it yeah you had to quantify and, your way into it i mean and, and here you are today especially i think also triggered by the pandemic every industry every economy every country business, econ businesses, industries disrupted, changed, right? And all those businesses in them realizing, oh my God, my business isn't the same. My customers' needs aren't the same. The supply chain's not working. I've got to reinvent everything. And now realizing they need design in some sense to solve their problems, right? And yeah. Yeah. I just remember in all those design conferences being at like IDSA or DMI saying, one day every business is going to realize yeah. that they're going to need design not just as consultancies, but how many are now bringing them in and building in-house design teams? Yeah, I mean, uh, so many years ago, I, I made the comment that design was the last strategic competitive advantage. Yeah. I mean, after that, there, there's nothing left. I mean, that's it. You know, you could keep adding your salespeople. You can do whatever the hell you want. But design yeah. is the last strategic. You better be involved in that. Then it doesn't matter what the basis of the industry is, right? Because it's yeah. total. So that, so that was the biggest problem that, and that I hope stopped some years ago because people didn't appreciate 
the totality of what design is. Yeah. Oh, you you draw. No, 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 no. Stop. It's yes. not so. I feel like design so multifaceted, and you, you're. It's so progressive. It's so pioneering. You, you're like, how do you tell someone way back there? Let me tell you what we do over here. You know, like. Yeah. I think of I. You know, I have my son. I remember the book, The Chameleon, and the chameleon wants to be so many different things, but designers can do so many different things. Tell someone design can design a product, a phone, yeah. a car, a chair. Oh, but not just lighting and not just your packaging of your, yep. your medicine bottles to a missile, but right. even now uh, digital apps and yep. you know interfaces and culture. Yeah, and we always think of it as, um, because you're right, Angela, it's, it's uh, such a diverse range of, of skill sets these days. And I, you know, we always frame it not as the science of developing and designing products, but of problem solving. The repertoire of, of skills that you develop you know, through product design, I think sets you up perfectly for solving problem or myriad of problems in other adjacent spaces. So for us, you know, the studio that Walter ran for many, many years was very, um, at that time, you know, it was this sort of standard paradigm, very traditional design and engineering. They had a remarkable model facility on site with a full staff of, you know, eight or nine full-time model makers. And they were, you know, really hands-on. And I think as the world has evolved, that, that opportunity to expand your skill set and, you know, develop a broader lens around that that art of problem solving has extended into you know today we do um, we do a lot of brand development so it's not just tra all traditional industrial design we do a lot of brand support through naming packaging mm -hmm. design web and, and interaction experiences so so it's it's really a much more holistic approach to problem solving and mm -hmm. we, we thought we certainly thrive in that in that area of traditional product design, because we, we love to be very hands-on, you know, we still love the the craft of you know sketching and and developing models and things like that. But I think I think the skill set has broadened, and it's been a really um, exciting uh, evolution over. The and, and it and it really had to, Angela, because if you didn't allow it to broaden, and I'm not, we do it really well. Herb's product, we really, really, really do it well. If you didn't allow that to take place. The, at what point do you turn it over for someone else to say, I, I wonder if they really meant to do this, or I, I wonder, shouldn't we really do that? Or what's the out-of-box experience? Are you kidding? Don't, that's the totality that's so critical. And that's why you, you, you need that complete internal support team to, to touch everything. And they yeah. really do. They have to touch everything. Or yeah. I hate to say it, the, the basic DNA is going to get screwed up. Yeah. Um, it's amazing where design has just expanded. I mean, if you you're right, Scott, I I feel like industrial design particularly because it's it's so many facets, right? Yeah. Physical, emotional, aesthetic, technical, the business of like the of actually making something. This is not just. I think the dis for me, there's a distinction between one-off and which is beautiful and it has its place as well. But when you're designing something for business and it's got to be reproduced and mass produced you know there's a that added element of challenge but it's fascinating how design you you're we realize the basic premise of this the foundational skills allows yeah. us to solve any problem almost yeah, right absolutely. and then and, and people are going there to now do yeah they are yeah, yeah and, and that it's like it's exactly you know you still got those of you guys who love the form you know 
yeah, yeah. exactly and you yeah, can't let go of it you love it too much yeah back to your original comment of you know design has sort of permeated the the landscape of you know corporate uh, culture and and yeah i mean you can you can just see the roles and um you know the positions that uh, all companies are developing the skill set of design thinking and and innovation teams and problem solvers that come from very sort of non-traditional backgrounds and yeah and i i think you know design is sort of at the at the core of that um of that really interesting evolution so and, and i love walter that you're teaching i mean uh to to give back you know there's so much that you know and for professionals today to learn about the business of leading to design management and i think who was i talking to that actually got well, I was talking to you, Scott, and then who was I also mentioning? I was mentioning this to Bob Schwartz, who's teaching, and then Bruce Claxton is teaching, and then who's he with? Jim Harvey, right? So yeah, just right. so many you know, guys bringing your knowledge um, and sharing it with. So, but you know, I, I, sort of everything we do, you know, I mean, you're just jogging all sorts of tiny little issues, but I think it's sort of important to bring it up in that um, in the beginning, so you were an industrial designer. Nobody knew what you were, right? But mm -hmm. you had some talent and you can make things look nice. And then we had to prove that we go well beyond that, that we're the totality of it. But you always had to keep proving it. And the whole thing yeah. really got nutsy because, I mean, in more recent years, because I thought, okay, you really have to, so Walter, you, you, you wanted to start teaching this management thing of design and development. And uh, so Northwestern allowed me to, to do this master's program. And then I thought, everybody should be doing this. And, and then they started it. And I thought, no, you're, you're not doing it right. I mean, you, you're, there's a way to do it. It's the same thing as takes place in a studio. There is a way to do this. Yeah. And you really know what that way is um, because we've studied it. So then uh, Scotty kind of introduced me and saying, I got my undergraduate at, at uh, Illinois. So then I thought, okay, this is nuts because you never really need to prove this whole thing because no one's buying into it, and not, not to the degree that it should be done. Mm -hmm. So I thought, oh, what the hell? Uh, I, I'm going to do a PhD in this thing and, <laughs> and prove that there's only one way to do it. Because at that point, as opposed to proving it in the marketplace, as her product does, if you will, with the totality of what we're doing, I thought, all right, I've got to prove this in the academic world. So just before my 80th birthday, I got my PhD from in England. <laughs> wow, I love it. Where'd you, you, you went to England. Wait, what school? Tell Coventry. School. What? In Coventry. So I was able to still stay active here with everything, but I, I'd go over occasionally just to. Why and, did you choose that school? Because they had a really good design background and they understood PhD work in design and nobody understood it in America. Mm -hmm. Really? Uh, and so they were receptive. And, and what was important in doing a PhD, you have to work under somebody that's really in the field and has done it. Mm -hmm. Well, good luck in America. Where are you going to find that? Yeah. You won't. Yeah. But and what, do you, what do you find is the most interesting thing for you when you teach about design management? And what, what are they, what's hard for people to grasp, students to grasp? And are they professionals or are they uh, no. you know, coming out? No, I, we won't allow anyone that doesn't have a background in the field. You have to have a background because yeah, they, they have I mean, to I, cut their teeth. And my, in my the, first yeah. assignment literally is 
amongst your team. So everything should be team-based because that's how we work in the real world. Yeah. So the first assignment amongst your team is, I want you to review something that was a freaking disaster. What really went bad? And now you've just finished my first class. So for next week's assignment, you're going to present what you should have done. And so methodology, if yeah. you ask me what's most important, boy, you better figure out and you better understand there's, there's a method. This is not casual stuff. This is, there's a defined methodology. I know some people who could do uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, we we all we always say that um, there's yeah, always room for learning. That's all I could say. Yeah, yeah. and and when we're when we're introducing a, a new client partner to a program, you know, we always take comfort in in shepherding them through the process and and allowing them to understand that exactly like you said, Angela, there is very much a foundational process that will guide the journey from start to finish. And so while we all know design and development is really messy and things can go sideways and you meet all sorts of unexpected challenges along the way, but if you stay true to that process and you're disciplined with regard to the milestones that you are aiming for and the um, rigor that you apply to the process, things always turn out well. I mean, they really do. And, and that goes for you know, some, some quick scrappy, um, you know, really fast, small programs, as well as, um, you know, all the big, large, you know, year plus programs. Um, it's, it's all the same process ultimately at the end of the day. So, um, yeah. Well, so, okay. Yeah. So there's process, right? Because to, to really move down that line from nebulous, no, no, no idea what that product will be, you know, that research phase strategy, you know, ideation, yeah. concepting, product development and production, and then kind of back to the, you know, at some throughout it, it's like going back again, if something exactly. changes. I want to talk more because, I mean, and from all the conversations that I have, whether it's as a recruiter running Yay Ideology Recruitment, or whether it's through our coaching program, Thrive by Design, and just all the people we meet, I find that, and I'm thinking about in general, um, design, you know, and design managers, leaders, you know, I think there's a challenge still, right? Design has so many um, different abilities. How do you, what do you do when you meet a company and your best opportunities, you meet a company and they have no idea what design is and they go, yeah, you make that, that thing is amazing, that missile thing. Yeah, yeah, make me one. Can you do that in two weeks? You know, I'll pay you more, you know, and they, so I, I kind of want to hear because you've got two generations and the world's changing and evolving in its understanding of what design can do. But it's, I think it's about setting expectations, right? About you, you know, so you're talking internally as a professional, how do you refine your process, right? But then there's the, how do you then explain this to your customers? I, I'm going to jump in on this one. Scott will pick it up, um, but I'll use, I'll use a case without mentioning the, the client. Mm really 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 complicated medical device we'll just leave it at that really complicated leader of the industry and they and they came in and they just wanted some really superficial work i mean really i mean i was angry to be honest it was so yeah. superficial i got because they didn't know what design does had no freaking idea none no idea at all and so i tend to get angry and Scott just tends to just say, why don't we just show them the right way to do this? And so uh, the work is proceeding and what the team starts developing under Scott 
was the complete depth of the problem that the client didn't appreciate. They had a thing. They never understood the total depth of it. Mm -hmm. And so we ended up with what their original assignment was, but they had never understood the depth. Mm -hmm. And that storyboarding allowed them to, to understand what design is, because I think that was the start of your question. What do you yeah. do with people that don't understand it? You better be able to give to give the storyboard as to why, why are you even asking me the problem, the question? And so you get inside the end user and you understand the market and you understand the DNA, if there is one or how you can create one. Mm -hmm. And you understand the emotion behind doing a great job because the end user wants to feel good about what they're buying, what they're using, right? So that so I think that's the answer. I love what you just said that and and I feel like this is not isolated to that scenario. I, I wonder if everyone in design, particularly industrial design, hears this and goes, oh my God, this happens to me all the time, right? Uh, a client and a, a company comes and says, and they just, you're, what you just said was they don't see the depth, they see the surface. So it's always a surfacing thing, make it look pretty, right? And not really understanding the functionality or the connection to what the customer really needs or, you know, all the other business aspects of it. But yeah, yeah it's fascinating. I feel like business doesn't really understand. It's like seeing, you know, not knowing the internals really matter. Uh, yeah. it, it's usually some marketing type who's been given the project from engineering, really. And then they come to a designer and they say, can you just, I don't know, give it a better color or whatever. Yeah. And, and so that's the teaching that you have to do to allow them to understand why you are a critical part of that team from right. day one. And there's right. no better, and, and Angela, to your, to your question, and, and I think to your point as well, there's no better moment of learning and indoctrinating someone into the industrial design process than, than shepherding them through it and having them collaborate and be a part of that process from start to finish. And, and you know, we have this very organic oriented approach in our office where we are very empathetic. We understand the complexities with certainly like corporate culture and the barriers uh, that the teams encounter in, in developing programs, right? And developing products. And, and our, you know, our general attitude is it's okay. We, we understand the variables that you, know, that you and your team are dealing with and just give us an opportunity to work with you for a little bit of time, help, um, help you understand the science of design and the output and the value behind it. And, you know, and once we establish that rapport and we have, you know, that chemistry that is, that is really firing on all cylinders, it's a lot easier, not just for us, but for the entire team to, to envision mm -hmm. the potential and uh, really better sort of empiricize the value that, that you can extract from design. So, so anecdotally, as an example, Walter, I don't know if this is what you're referring to, but we, we do a ton of work for Edwards Life Sciences down in Los Angeles. They're the, the leading um, developer of, uh, of heart valves and heart reconstruction surgical equipment in, in the, the world at this point. And so that relationship began in a very modest manner we were helping them develop some, some ergonomic um, studies for a particular heart valve implant procedure. And once we worked with the team for a couple of months, they started to kind of 
broaden their scope with regard to the, the definition of the problem they were solving. And what began as a, a, a pretty modest initial ergonomic study for a very specific heart valve um, delivery tool turned into a two plus year engagement for developing an entire visual design language for the Edwards brand across all of their divisions. So which, which became critically important for them organizationally and strategically to understand that, okay, we, we actually have the potential to um, develop a consistent DNA across you know, all of our systems, all of our hardware components. And that wouldn't have been possible had we just gone in at the onset and said, okay, really look, what you guys need is you need this really comprehensive uh, program that's going to last 18 months and you know it's going to culminate in you know 36 different designs across five different divisions and it's too much right yeah. it's getting yeah. way too complicated there's too many stakeholders that don't really understand design yeah. and to their and to their defense they haven't been through the process and, and we get that and so that's I think that's the that's the role that we play oftentimes is obviously we're good at what we do technically but I think more often than not we are a mediator or a moderator of that of that process right and it's like a it's almost like you're a behavioral psychologist you come in as an outsider and you allow everyone to get around the table even within the same organization these people haven't talked to each other about this specific problem. yeah they all work in silos it's an right and so and so you stand up at the whiteboard in their conference room and you say okay here's where we are today here's where we need to go and we're going to take you through this process from start to finish and we're going to show you along the way the the value of design and and i think once once people go through that process again as i say organically it it really opens up so many possibilities so that's so we have a very you know organically oriented attitude around around those engagements. And, and yeah and what should not be missed is the reality that we think we're really good and we have to be in integrating that total team all of their players don't leave anyone out they're going to find yeah. a reason they're going to find a reason. Don't you dare yes. leave anyone out. Yes. And now and it's talking, Well, when you say don't leave anyone out, can you give me a sense of like, just for those, I mean, I think sure. I, I, I think I know what you're sure. talking about, but for those that are listening and for someone who's still growing in design, we're talking not just mar marketing, engineering, product managers. I mean, like how high up and what divisions are we talking even sourcing or or you know right. yeah you're getting out of finance or right because absolutely. absolutely everyone yeah i mean you have to have that that complete team and mm -hmm. certainly yeah. on the manufacturing side i mean the worst nightmare that that a designer can get their client into is this full beautiful final development and then and, and then manufacturing said How, what are you talking about do you not understand our facility, do you not understand it? A million years ago, I learned that lesson uh, and, I, and I won't use, I will, no, well, I'll use one of the names. So we were doing some work for Polaroid a lot, a lot, a lot of years ago. And they showed me what our predecessor, big name, big name design company, and we were little guys, had brought in for this next generation camera. And as, as they would describe, I mean, they were describing these, well, these two kids came in and you know, look very professional and they gave us this form and we said, well, how do we make it? How does it work? And their answer was, well, I don't know, you figure it out. And they called us in. Well, yeah, that's my point. If everybody's not in that room, if, if you don't have all those players, it's over. 
it's it's done. Well, you're also talking about the um, dynamics of a design consultancy working with a corporation, like whether they have an in-house design team or not, by the way, right? Um, and really kind of yeah. getting in bed with them and working closely with them and really understanding the inner workings of that company. And, and I've heard stories like that where, you know, and companies, corporations, well, they'll buy something from a certain agency because of the style is just so beautiful, glossy, beautiful. So I, I've heard stories where some corporation says, we got this incredible deck or, you know, proposal and it's gorgeous, but we don't even know how to, where to, right. how, is yeah. it, how do we make this thing real? Yeah. 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 And, and what, what we find is, and as you, as you know, from your work, Angela, it's like, there's this core trifecta of disciplines in a, in a program, or at least to make a program successful, you have marketing, which helps identify the opportunity and thinks sort of from a strategic point of view. And then you have industrial design and engineering to kind of um, explore the range of options and then bring it to life. And, and those, those three skill sets are critically important. And what, what we really feel and what we've seen from our field work is that the, the more you can sort of break down the barriers and include each of those disciplines sort of cross-functionally in the conversation, the, the better the end result is going to be, right? So it's, it's not enough just to get a directive from the marketing team and say, okay, go do this. Yeah. And then the industrial design team has to sort of decode or dissect, you know, what is it, what is really the problem that we're trying to develop? And then the engineering team comes in at the end and tries to sort of salvage, you know, what you're doing and make it real. And what, you know, what we've seen and probably what you've witnessed in your work as well is that the, the earlier you can have those three disciplines sort yeah. of collaborating at the onset, the, the better the end result is going to be. So, right. Well, what you're touching on is, and it's this is still the case at so many corporations, right? When the advent of corporations realizing to build in design, I have something I want to say about that. But like, and then now, like, and how company corporations have design, but designs either tucked under marketing or tucked under engineering, and it doesn't have its own agency equi equivalent, right? And you're right, and all coming together at the same time because right. you're right, passing the buck doesn't. It's like telephone tag, actually. Yeah. Right, because yeah. then by the end of it, what is right the end of the conversation? It's like that's not what I said. You know what? That's not what it is anymore. It's so funny, telephone tag. That's yeah. perfect analogy for how I see design like being mis unless you're all in the yeah. room saying it at the same time, right. Right. moving through your own. You know, like I need to do this. We need this. I've got that subjective. We've got that objective. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, you're spot on. And I think, uh, again, you know, we see the highest degree of success we see is when teams have a sense of um, agility and they're more nimble in their process and their response. And I think that's another dangerous pitfall um, in, in an overly structured process environment where you, you lay out the objectives at the beginning of a program and there's no divergence from that. And I think, as we all know, from going through yeah. that creative development program or process, you know, you're going to encounter a lot of unmet uh, variables along the way, and you have to you have to embrace that uh, sort of dynamic ability to evolve and change as as um, as the variables yeah. change. And I think that's that's what makes projects fun. That's what, I mean, I mean, we're all in this business because we love creating, right? And we love problem solving. And the outcome of that passion is, you know, a, a beautiful, you know, we do all the work for Brita, and so like a beautiful water bottle, right? I mean, this is this was a really fun program we did for for Brita, yeah. but at the beginning of this program, they had a completely different uh, vision of, of where- That's the had. right there, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> but, but I think that, you know? 
Yeah. So, and it's actually one of the, it's, it's one of Brita's most successful products. This is a filtered water bottle. Can you hold it a little closer to the screen for those who might be watching? So it has a, it has a charcoal filter in the center, um, flip top with a, uh, I love that. Yeah. I'll send you one. It comes in a range of colors. You can also get double, double wall stainless, but, uh, but this was a really big program. Brita, you know, they, they're one of the, the largest producers of, uh, water purification systems for the home. And so, so when they commit to a program, it's a big deal. Um, just yeah. distribution is massive and the capital investment is massive. And so in any event, that sort of that front end definition is, is critically important, but, but the ability to kind of meander and evolve as, um, as you go through that process is, is I think really, really vital. And fortunately they're a very design driven organization. So they get that. And that, that would be my, my other point is that we have definitely found, as I'm sure you have in your field, is every organization needs a design Sherpa, if you've heard this phrase, right? You have to have someone in a leadership role that, that appreciates, admires, and really respects the value that design brings. And I think we're seeing more so now in 2022 that that is a common appreciation within organizations that wasn't there a decade ago or even five years ago, right? And so I think the, the more that humans evolve and adapt and become sort of design savvy, the more we're gonna see these um, senior leadership roles where we, we do have sensitivity and sensibility around design and the value of it. And that makes a huge difference, right? When, when you enter an organization that, that doesn't have anyone in that role and they don't understand it and it's a foreign um, you know, conversation for them, it, you have a much more difficult time, I think convincing, um, an organization of the value, so. Yeah. What amazing stories from Scott and Walter, right? Uh, however, more interesting stories are coming next week. Uh, the stories they share are so valuable um, that we don't wanna cut them out. And so this is a really long podcast, but we're gonna break them up into two parts. So you're gonna follow us for the next half of this podcast to listen to the rest of this. I mean, how fun, how amazing uh, that, that we got to interview them on a boat and the great loop and, you know, the history of design and where it's come to today. So it's amazing. So follow us for the next uh, episode. Meanwhile, don't forget to visit our website, www.gayideology.com for any employers that really want to understand how to cultivate and build a great relationship with design talent. For anyone interested, follow us on social at Yay Ideology on Instagram. We do lives also on LinkedIn, where I give career advice for creative professionals. And if you want to learn more about Thrive, thriving in your design career, head over to thrivebydesign.today. Uh, that's it for now. So see you all in the next episode.